Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. It's time. Time for Silver and Black today. To the ground game. Touchdown Las Vegas. We're breaking down the latest Raider news from on and off the field. And bringing you conversations with newsmakers and record breakers. So hold on, Raider Nation. It's time to get get it it on. Here's your hosts, Scott Goldbranson and Mo Moulton. Hey everybody, welcome to Silver and Black Today, an Odyssey original podcast. Thank you for being with us for our first show uh, for Odyssey as an original podcast. For those of you who've been along with us for four or five years, welcome back. For those of you new to the podcast, we certainly appreciate you being with us. And we ask you a big favor, make sure you subscribe, whether you're doing it in Apple iTunes, whether you're doing it on Google, Spotify, wherever you get it. Oh, by the way, you can check out the free Odyssey app, which is great. You can see uh, all the great podcasts that the Odyssey Podcast Network has, but also the radio station. So if you're a sports fanatic and you want to talk a little Raiders and then maybe let's say you're a Golden State Warriors fan, you can go check out the Odyssey app uh, and do that as well. But do us a favor, please subscribe. We appreciate you being with us. And this isn't just my show. No, we need somebody with a little more of a level head than me. No, we need somebody who's got um, the the know-how and the background to help us talk Raiders football, and that is my partner. I'm so glad to now bring him in. That is one Mr. Mo Moten. Mo is a uh, senior writer over at Bleacher Report, covers the entire NFL, and then he is also the lead columnist covering the Raiders over at Sportsnot. Mo, here we are. We are now part of the Odyssey original podcast. You're now back on video and back on the podcast after your summer hiatus. You joined us a couple times, but welcome, man. This is exciting. Yeah, as we can see, I'm high above Allegiant Stadium. <laughs> I have a nice press box uh, seat now, so that was the move up. That was what we were working on. Just get me aligned with Allegiant Stadium and get me a nice seat for the show. Yes, and and we are uh, excited to be able to to bring the podcast. And for those people who are new to it, Mo, you know we've been doing this for a while, and I just want to set the table for folks, right? Because there's a lot of great content out there. There's a lot of great podcasts, Raider podcasts, fan generated media, professional, old school media, newspaper guys who do podcasts. There's t- the TV networks do podcasts here at odyssey and at silver and black today we go at this from a really objective point of view so if you're tuning in to just hear the rosy end of the picture you'll hear that when things are good but mo we like to keep it real as we call it right we like to talk about the raiders when they're doing well we're going to give them credit we're not overly critical we're not overly positive it's not silver and black colored glasses all the time but you covering the league as well uh talk about a little bit about how people are going to hear about the raiders from you just objectivity um if you've been following me at mo moton on twitter anywhere facebook a- anywhere you follow me you know that i'm a pretty much down the line guy i'm not gonna wave the pom pom poms if that's what you're expecting i'm not one of these guys who don't watch the raiders that cover them nationally because there are trust me there are a lot of people out there who cover the league nationally and have not watched the raider game in probably years so you get the best of both worlds with me a person who watches the Raiders every week, but a person is going to give you the real every week. Yeah, and that's the key, and that's what we're going to do. Uh, and sometimes you'll agree with us. 
Sometimes you won't agree with us. Sometimes many of you might not agree with us anytime, but I know you'll listen because we will be here to entertain you as well. And Mo and I uh, like to to keep it light at times as well. But Mo, a busy week. And I know we, on our previous show on a radio station, Southern California, we talked about this, but it really deserves uh, another look. And that, is, of course, is the Raiders hiring their new president, Sandra Douglas Morgan. She, of course, named the president of the Raiders on Thursday. And I really like this hire a lot of people have different feelings on it, but I want to go through this and get your comments, Mo, because I'm telling you, I, this this woman is dynamite. She has done a lot, and a lot of people didn't, quote-unquote, know her outside of Las Vegas, which I understand. Uh, but at the same time, I think this is huge for a team trying to get a foothold and still its new market, yes, going into the third season. But remember, the first season was COVID. Nobody got to go to a game. Um, she grew up in, in Southern Nevada, moved there when she was two years old, went to school in both parts of Nevada. She went up to Nevada, Reno, and then went to UNLV for law school, but mostly Las Vegas. She went to El Dorado High School there. She's got experience uh, with both the Nevada Gaming Board and is well-connected in the state. She's the first African-American to serve on the control board, by the way, gaming board uh, in 2019 through 2021. She was a city attorney, worked at the city of North Las Vegas for eight years. Last year, she was named the vice chair of the Las Vegas Bowl host committee. And she was also uh, director of external affairs over at AT&T services, where she oversaw the government's kind of local um, government legislative community work in Nevada. And of course, served on Nevada's highest ranking Athletic Commission, which is the Nevada Athletic Commission, State Athletic Commission, which controls boxing, UFC, all the sanctioned sports in Nevada. And of course, there's a little ex NFL experience there through her husband, Don, who played in the NFL from 99 through 2002 with the Vikings and the Cardinals. Mo, I'm a little bit out of breath because this woman's resume is fantastic. And uh, she's got, I think, everything you want in the person who's going to run the business side of your NFL franchise. Absolutely, because just in case a lot of you are wondering, she's not going to be the one negotiating trades, signing free agents. She's going to be the person that's going to make sure everything's tidy in the front office, which if you've read the news recently, you know the Raiders front office has been a mess. A lot of turnover. Guys leaving Mark Bredane, uh leaving Dan Ventrell out within a year. So she's coming as a third president, I believe, within a year. So she has a lot to clean up, and she understands that, and she faced that issue head on in her presser. She said, you know, she's she knows that the organization has faced some recent challenges, and she's not going to sweep it under the rug. To me, that is the first sign of leadership. A leader's not going to come in and, and make believe everything is hunky-dory and everything's okay. No, she knows there's some issues there, and she's going to go out and try to fix them. No doubt about it. And I want to read this quote from her, Mo, because this is important. And that is about the situation you're talking about, about the defections, about the reports that we get both on the record and off the record from people who say that it's kind of dysfunctional right now. And it has been since the move. Uh, and she said, and here, here's uh, uh, Douglas Morgan, her quote from the press conference. She says, quote, I've been able to take uh, take from unfortunate situations, being able to rise through and find good solutions that help the greater good. Then later on, she said, let me be clear. I'm not here to avoid or sidestep problems or concerns that need to be addressed. I've given the long and thoughtful consideration to joining you, the Raiders, and I've done so because I believe in the promise of the Raiders. Most importantly, I believe in the core values of integrity, community, and commitment to excellence. I will expect you to embody those and to hold me accountable to do the same. That was from her letter to the employees of the Raiders. I mean, she said everything right, Mo. Now the hard work begins. Yeah, absolutely. Now you got to get down to work. You got to get down to meeting with the employees, uh, getting involved with the community, because I know we mentioned it on our previous show that part of it is you have to get the fans in Nevada involved with the team because you don't want, you know, visiting fan bases coming in and taking over Legion Stadium. I know a lot of people have talked about that last season, but the Raiders just got not just got there, but they're just building a, a base there. And I think she's going to be part of that. As you said, a lot of legwork to do. But I think she's up for the job with all the leadership positions she's had in recent past. Yeah, there's no question. And and I, I was I was a little dismayed by some of the Raider fan reactions. Now, again, I'm getting a small sample in in the toxic wasteland that can be social media, especially around fandom and NFL teams. 
Uh, although most Raider fans uh, are ecstatic with the selection, but some of the things I heard and you, and you mentioned it just a moment ago, which was, well, I, I never heard of her. Well, first of all, because you've mm -hmm. never heard of somebody doesn't, doesn't necessarily disqualify them from being a good leader. Number two, the thought about not having quote unquote NFL experience. She has plenty of sports experience. I told you about the Nevada state gaming commission. I told you about the Nat Nevada state um, um, athletic commission, excuse me. Those are big deals that controls all the sports, all the prize fights you hear in Nevada, all the big UFC fights. She's had that. Then she's also was named to the Super Bowl committee as well. Cause the Raiders will be hosting the Super Bowl in 25. Um, boy, you don't get to those positions and get all of those assignments unless you know what you're doing. Plus, you have to know how to run a business and navigate the world that is entertainment, that mixes with politics and the community. And she has all of those things. It's all about qualifications, and she checks those boxes. I believe Mark Davis mentioned the, the keyword qualifications when he introduced her and said, she's, you know, she's definitely qualified. I believe he met her at a function and said, "Who, you know, we need this person on our staff and it just immediately clicked for him. And a lot of times when you meet a person, you kind of get a feel for who they are as a person and just the type of energy that they bring. And Mark Davis being around her, he, he felt like this was the right person for the job. So, so you're never going to get a hundred percent approval from any fan base about anyone higher. But I, I think Mark Davis meeting her and getting a feel for her energy. He felt like she was the right person for the job. And we we've run down her resume plenty of times, and we just said, "Look, she's qualified. She's definitely qualified for the position as a leader." And I like what I heard from her at her press conference, just facing these problems that the Raiders are having in the front office head on. And I think she'll prove a lot of people wrong. Yeah, I do too. And and listen, we we've gone through now almost what, 10, uh, 12 minutes talking about this hire again, which I, I really like for the Raiders. I think they have a good talent. And to your point, I've been making the point, maybe because I've lived in Las Vegas twice uh, and my wife is a native, it, the fact that they need to develop the fan base, it got better last year, especially as the year went on and the Raiders were doing well, but they still need someone who understands and has really deep connections doesn't mean somebody from the outside couldn't have been successful at it but having that person who knows that community since they were two years old she saw las vegas grow up before any of this stuff was there and to me that's really significant the fact that she gets that but we didn't talk about mo being the first african-american woman president which is an accomplishment in itself it's the third african-american to serve as an nfl president but the first woman uh it is significant and it certainly fits in with the raiders and al davis's mentality of hiring the best person no matter who they are um but how do you look at that and the significance a lot of raider fans are taking pride in that yeah definitely a lot of raider fans took pride in the organization because they are first and a lot of uh, barriers being broken in the nfl of course the most notable link between Sandra and is Amy Trask, who also has a, you know, law background. So she's also, by the way, up as a semifinalist in the Hall of Fame. So look out for that. I think she gets in. But um, the Raiders aren't aren't, you know, unfamiliar with breaking barriers, especially when it comes to first, you know, women for a position, first African-American for a position. So we you know, this goes in line with what Al Davis set for this organization. And Mark Davis is definitely following in those footsteps. He sure is. And and I'm just excited for them because I think they needed that shot. They needed someone. And I talked to a, a gentleman in the organization last week and kind of asked him, I said, hey, so how, how does everybody feel? And this person works on the business side. Uh, he doesn't work on the football side. And he said, you know what? Very good. We're excited. The only kind of eh part of it for, for him, and, and he said others in the organization, was the fact that well, we've had other people from the gaming industry come in uh, and and it hasn't always worked out. And so people are a little leery of that. But I don't I understand she comes from gaming, but it's not like she was just a marketing director at a casino or the CMO at a casino. This is someone who's had high level positions and she's learned how to govern, so to speak, learned how to run an organization that has multiple tentacles. And to me, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how it goes. But they need to. Some people say, I don't care. I just want them to win on the football field. But, Mo, that office side, they control the overall brand. And that's, you need both sides of the house to be in order, don't you? What is that saying? The fish rots from the head? <laughs> uh, if, if your front office is out of order and it's a mess, it, it, there's eventually going to be a trickle-down effect. Now, the Rays have been over able to overcome certain things but at the end of the day you have to make sure your house is in order if you want the product to be good on the field 
absolutely right. And so, I mean, again, the hiring of Sandra Douglas Morgan, big, big story this week. And uh, I know we'll get to know her a little more. We'll work on trying to get her on the show. I'm sure she's going to be really busy. So uh, we'll we'll continue to work on that uh, and figure out how we can get her on the show. But I'm sure she'll also do. She did her introductory press conference. I'm sure she'll do some more discussions with people. But she's got so much work to do that I think if you don't see her, that's a good sign too. All right. We are now going to step aside for our first break here. When we come back from this break, we are going to talk about our position breakdown today. That is the Raiders offensive line, a big one. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Silver and Black today. He is Mo Moten. I am Scott Branson. This is an original podcast by Odyssey. Don't go anywhere. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Silver and Black today, an Odyssey original podcast. Mo Moten, Scott Branson with you. We are talking Raiders football. Again, if you haven't subscribed, do us a favor. Go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. And, of course, I like to listen on the cool Odyssey app, uh, which is free, and you can check it out. You can check out sports from all over the country. So I know you're all Raider Nation, and you live and die with the Raiders, but I'm sure you have a football, another, uh, excuse me, uh, basketball team or a baseball team, whatever it may be. Check out the great content on the Odyssey app. All right, Mo is back with me now. And Mo, you know, we talk about, we're going to get a lot as we go lead up to camp next week. We're going to talk a lot about Raider, the Raiders, where they're at, what we need to learn about them. And one of the things that is, without a doubt, you and I started talking about early last season before it was popular, not to give us too much credit, but I will, um, the offensive line. We were, we were concerned with it last year. It certainly bore out that the offensive line was, was not where it needed to be last year for the Raiders. It played well at times, but the 2021 season, when you look at the Raiders offensive line, what it did, what it, what didn't do, excuse me. Uh, what was what was really the issue there? What did you see and how would you evaluate the job they did uh, for the Raiders who made the playoffs but certainly struggled along the way? Man, where do I start? As you said, <laughs> as you said, last year on this time, we were the ones who were saying the Raiders offensive line could be a problem. And people said, no, we we got younger, we got cheaper, we're gonna be a lot better. And what did we say? Just because you get younger and cheaper doesn't mean you necessarily get better. Now, good thing it didn't derail the Raiders' season. They were still able to go 10-7 and to make the playoffs. But there were a lot of issues there, and I, and I believe it all started with injuries. Uh, Richie Incognito, who played well in his first year with the Raiders, wasn't able to play at all. We also said we didn't think Incognito would play a game in 2021. He didn't. He had a setback. He had an injury with his calf, I believe, his ankle uh, against the Rams in a joint practice, and he had a setback. So he wasn't able to play, and that thrust John Simpson into a starting role, perhaps before he was ready to start. Alice Etherwood gets moved from right tackle to right guard after week four. Jermaine Illuminar is benched. Of course, Leatherwood's moved to right guard because Denzel Good tore his ACL, plays into the first game against the Baltimore Ravens. So here you have your starting guards are out. You have to move your rookie tackle to right guard so he's not completely comfortable in his new position. You're benching a veteran guard to move your right, to move your rookie over. And then you have Brandon Parker, who we know has been a turnstile start at right tackle. So <laughs> just a host of problems. And meanwhile, you have Andre James learning on the job at center. So yes. there's just a lot going on there. But to me, the, the biggest problems that stuck out to me were obviously pass protection was atrocious. 
and the penalties. Leatherwood, 16 penalties. John Simpson, 11 penalties. Parker, 10 penalties. That's three offensive linemen with at least 10. And then James had eight. So not only are you allowing edge rushers and pass rushers to get to your quarterback, but you're also getting penalized, which cancel good plays on the offensive side of the ball. So a lot to clean up this year. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and you saw flashes. You know, you saw some games where you said, boy, this line's playing well. Maybe they're going to pick it up because we've seen that, right, where injury creates opportunity. Guys jump in and suddenly they surprise the heck out of you. And there were games like that. But certainly along the way, there were also there was kind of the one step forward, two step backs, two two step back approach uh, Mm -hmm. throughout the season which, you know, I know it was tough because the Raiders had opportunities or they were in games that they could have won, perhaps, uh, especially with the penalties. You talked about the penalties. They were just a killer at, at, at very crucial times, too. You're not just talking about the totality of penalties, but when they occurred, really hurt this team last year. When you look at that unit, uh, Mo, from 2021, uh, you talked about Andre James, who plays, gets the contract, plays center, starts to come along. But was he the most improved that you saw last year? Or who did you think improved the most of that unit who comes back in 2022? Man, I say it was close between him and John Simpson because they both improved during the, you know, as the season was going on. Now they start off, both start off kind of rocky uh, in pass protection, but they both improved in different ways. John Simpson didn't give up a sack after week 13, gave up five pressures against Cleveland, but for the most part, he cleaned up his pass protection. It was his penalties that kept hurting him. Uh, Andre James is the complete opposite. He only committed one penalty after week 12, but he allowed three sacks after week 13, I believe. So they both improved in different aspects. Both have a lot to work on, but I think those two guys going into the offseason, you have to feel some, you know, some positive feeling about both of them. At least they showed improvement during the season. They were able to learn on the job. And if, if you're looking at sink or swim, both were able to swim by the end of the season. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and let's talk about Raider Nation's favorite offensive lineman, Brandon Parker. Um, you talked about turnstile. Uh, there were times when Brandon Parker played well, and there were times when he really struggled. Um, but are, am I alone in thinking that Brandon Parker is what he is? I think he's a good swing backup lineman for somebody who can spot play for you when you need it i think the expectation that this third round draft pick was going to come in and somehow become a first rounder was a little bit uh fool's gold but what do you think about what you saw from him last year is he still a guy that you would have confidence in as a backup as a swing uh tackle for example if you need a spot starter or somebody goes out with an injury if you need a guy for a pinch i'm fine i'm okay with Brandon Parker, I'm not all that confident because I think you have to understand too. And he was coming out of uh, North Carolina A&T, I believe. Yep. He was on the, he played on the left side for three years, so he wasn't accustomed to playing on the right side. And a lot of people forget that you just can't swap a tackle. Not all tackles are equipped to play on both sides of the line, even though it's ideal that you you can. I, I believe that's part of his struggles that he he's he was used to playing on the left side, so he had to get used to playing on the right side on the pro level. But I think as a, as a backup swing tackle, okay. I still think they can probably upgrade over him. They obviously feel like they can get more than the previous coaching staff. They probably look at him as he was a third round pick. Let, let's see what we can do. I know what the last coaching staff did, but let's see if we can do something different and possibly get more out of him. Yeah, no question. And 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 I think that's what you have to have. Remember, look at look at certain players as depth pieces to your point. If you need somebody in a pinch, it's not somebody you want to play for six weeks hopefully. But if somebody's out for a week or if somebody's out for three series, you know, he's a guy I think who can play that role. And I think he's made improvements enough, but is he going to be consistent to be a starter? I don't think so either. Um, But when we look at this too, we look at uh, the the shift from Tom Cable's kind of zone blocking scheme to now what Josh McDaniels is going to do. And you mentioned earlier with some of these linemen, and and I got to say too, as a quick aside, I know a lot of you are out there saying you're talking about the offensive line, and you haven't mentioned one name yet, right? <laughs> and that's Alex Leatherwood. We're going to do an entire segment on Alex Leatherwood after our next break, so don't go anywhere with that. We'll get way into that. But with Tom Cable gone, that zone-blocking scheme gone, you get in Josh McDaniels' uh, system, you wrote a piece up on Sports Not about a player you think is going to benefit from that. But on that offensive line, who benefits the most from the scheme switch? I think it's Jermaine Illuminar. And I just mentioned he was benched last year after they moved, that the previous staff moved Alex Leatherwood over to right guard. 
I feel like Jermaine Luminar could have been decent there. Uh, they had a different Tom Cape obviously had a different plan, but I think he's going to benefit only because he has the Patriots ties. He's played right guard and right tackle, uh, mostly right tackle under Josh McDaniels. I get into that a little more later, but I believe he's a guy that could steal a starting spot. Not a lot of people are talking about him because of course the focus is on Leatherwood, but mm. I think Luminar could actually steal a starting spot. Actually, I shouldn't say steal, but win a starting spot in training camp. Yeah, at, at right guard, I know. I mean, it's it's early camp as it started. They have him listed uh, at number one in the depth chart so far uh, at that position at right guard. Uh, but to your point, uh, in the draft, now the Raiders, the one thing that people have been kind of critical of the Raiders draft, and I say that from a from an NFL analysis, analysis perspective, is the, the lack of work they did on the offensive line. Uh, but they did go get Dylan Parham, and you talked about, uh, that that will compete at right guard. When you look at, at what they did, they went – going out and getting Parham uh, and filling in some spots, even uh, 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 perhaps a guy who can maybe make the team in Tyrone Wheatley Jr. Uh, what did you see that they did here outside of uh, kind of what we talked about already that that gives you some hope or a guy that might be able to play his way onto the roster? Raiders fans might throw tomatoes at me for this take, but <laughs> I, I'll say this. The Raiders did sign a guy, Alex Barris, who played in Chicago. Uh, yes. He's, he's play, he played every position, mostly on the interior with the Bears, but he's only 26 years old. He is part of the reason I think Denzel Good could be expendable and they may release mm. Denzel Good and save $3.7 million. Because a lot of people say, well, Denzel Good, even if he doesn't start, he could play multiple positions. Well, sure. you got a younger offensive lineman, Alex Barris, who could do the same thing. And if Denzel Good is not the same after tearing his ACL, remember, he's 31 years old. I know that's that's young in the real world, but in the NFL world, that's, you're pretty much, you know, a grandpa. I wouldn't say grandpa, <laughs> but you're up there. What am so, I? Then? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> but, I mean, he's the elder statesman there. And at 31 years old, coming off of a torn ACL, you can't assume that Denzel Good is going to be the same versatile player that he was before the injury. So if he's not the same coming off, coming off that knee injury, I think Alex Barris could sneak in and grab a roster spot and be that versatile piece on the offensive line that you use to just plug in for injuries. Yeah, and he, like you said, he plays on that left side too, uh, where John John Simpson, who you said was one of the most improved players, was at, at as well. And then a guy I really like, and 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 even I forget about him, but every training camp, the last two training camps, I think he's been a monster. And then it just seems like it doesn't translate. And that is Lester Cotton Sr. Like so, Lester Cotton comes out, plays really well in camp. Does he play into that mix? Could they move him sides? I mean, he's a left side guy too. You must have read my notes, Scott, because I have Lester Cotton Sr. as a guy that I'm looking at because he actually took first team reps during the spring because Denzel Good was out, so he's able to take advantage, and they were able to take a longer look at him. As you mentioned, he just hasn't able to translate it to make the roster. He's been on and off the practice squad the last three years since 2019 out of Alabama. But he's a guy I would look at to say maybe he doesn't start, but maybe he's your backup. He's your primary backup guard, especially if Denzel Good does not make the roster. And even if Denzel Good makes the roster, I think Lester Cotton Sr. can sneak on. Let's say if Mumford, their seventh-round pick, doesn't make and he's stashed, maybe Lester Cotton moves up from the practice squad to a backup position. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Uh, and what about you, strange things? There's not a ton of trades that happen in camp. Uh, but guys get released sometimes early. Will the Raiders, do you think, be active? I mean, I know it's kind of a loaded question because until they get in camp and, and they actually get to camp uh, a week and in some cases two weeks earlier than some other teams, so they're going to get a little bit of a jump on it. Uh, and and when you look at what they might do, are they going to have an opportunity to maybe pick somebody off the street? And I don't mean you know dead meat off the street. I mean somebody who might be able to help them with depth. And do you expect them to? I expect them to make at least one move, and I just hope it's Daryl Williams, who I've been pounding the table for for it seems like months now. It has been. <laughs> but uh, he's still available out there, and maybe he has some offers on the table. Maybe he's weighing his options, but he he mostly played right tackle with the Panthers and the Bills, can play right guard, but I think he's the guy you bring in. Regardless of what happens in your offensive line, I don't think you just turn down a quality offensive lineman. Now, unless he just doesn't fit what they're looking for, I think you sign him because I think he's the best available offensive lineman. Now, if they don't feel great with uh, Andre James, maybe Treader comes in. Eric Flowers is a guard who who turned his career around. He was a he was a he bad did. left tackle for the Giants, and he's a pretty decent left guard now. He's another guy to bring in. Bobby Mass is another guy, former Cardinals, Bears, Broncos, right tackle. I think he's someone that you take a look at. But really quick, before we transition, I just want to make a quick note because people are going to scream at me if I don't say this. 
I hope I say his name right. I hope I'm not butchering it. But Bam Iladeli, Olaseni. Olaseni, yes. Olaseni, there you go. Six foot nine, 370 pound, 275 pound tackle out of Utah. One year started there with the Utes. A lot of a lot of fans like him. Uh, he's, a, as I just mentioned, massive tackle, but he's a 26-year-old rookie. Uh, has some flexibility limitations, maybe lower body, a little stiff, but He's a guy that you look at. Maybe he's a project at right tackle. You bring him in if he makes the roster on the back end, or if he's a stash, he's someone to look at. Well, and everyone knows the name Tyrone Wheatley, and this is Tyrone Wheatley Jr. What do you see from him? I think obviously a long shot uh, to to make the squad, but anything there that gives you any kind of uh, a glimmer of hope? Not, not really. I mean, there's nothing really that sticks out to me about him. As I just mentioned, Bam with his size, at least you can look at Bam and say, okay. Not to say that he's Trent Brown, but let's just remember <laughs> Trent Brown was a seventh round pick coming out, right? And and he's he's made himself into a starter and on a pro level. So why why not Bam, who's a six nine mammoth beast out there? And I think I think between him and Tyrone Wheatley, if you're looking at those two guys, at least I can say okay, this guy we can he's a piece of clay. We can mold him into a quality player, backup or starter. Now, Mo, before we uh, go to our next break and then make it all about Alex Leather, where we're getting out the massive Mostradamus. By the way, for those of you who are new to the podcast, we call Mo, Mo predicts a lot of things, so we call him Mostradamus, like Nostradamus. But we get out his microscope, and we're going to look at Alex Leatherwood after the break. Uh, one closing note. So Andre James, we talked about last year. He really struggled early on, uh, and then he got kind of into his rhythm. I think he still got some uh, – you talk about flexibility and, and footwork especially. Uh, what do you see from him coming out of that late-season run where the Raiders made the playoffs uh, and say, okay, he's doing well here, but there's got to be improvement? Uh, he may have to hit the weight room as far as gaining weight. A lot of people say he's got to gain some weight. That's not it. Uh, you can you can get stronger without gaining weight. And I think that's what he has to work on is his, is his strength. Because when he's facing those bull rushing interior defensive linemen, when he's got to play the upper echelon of that position, you got to see Chris Jones twice a year. Yeah. Uh, you you got to get stronger. And he ha- he cannot allow interior pressure because, as Mike Mayock said years ago, quarterbacks hate interior pressure when it comes right up in their face. So he's got to be able to get strong so he can handle guys like Chris Jones or DeForest Buckner or whoever may come in Aaron Donald this year if they you know when they play the Rams he's got to be able to handle those guys in the interior because they'll they'll mow him over if, if he doesn't get a little stronger. No question. All right, we are going to step aside for a moment and hear some words, and when we come back, we're going to talk Alex Leatherwood. Is he the key, the X factor, whatever you want to call it, for the Raiders to be successful on offense? in 2022 you're listening to the silver and black today podcast and odyssey original don't go anywhere i'm tony kornheiser this is my show my friends come on and you know them we talk about the sports you care about basketball now golf and the metronome of your life baseball whether it's opening day the big tournament or one of the majors we have the best to preview it and break down just what happened and let's not forget the important stuff the amount of daylight where i live the importance of speedies and the rankings of beach style pizza listen on the odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts welcome back silver and black today an odyssey original podcast i am scott Branson, joined by my partner mo moton uh and mo we are talking this entire segment or as long as we can until we get tired of talking about it um, about what, what, what a lot of people figure out or figure to be the biggest factor for this Raiders offense and perhaps for the Raiders season in some ways. And that is the success uh, of Alex Leatherwood. He's moving back to right tackle. We heard early on from new coach Josh McDaniels that he felt he could get him where he needs to be at right tackle. He was not going to keep him at, at right guard. He was going to move him back to his position and give him the opportunity. Then we hear, Mo, during this offseason, all the great work he's been doing in the weight room with uh, workouts, getting in shape, getting stronger, all of the above that you want to hear a guy who struggled in his rookie season to do. But straight up, is Alex Leatherwood the biggest key for this Raiders offense this coming season? He absolutely is. Uh, one name we haven't mentioned through this whole offensive line segment, Colton Miller. <laughs> and if we don't mention, we don't. If we don't mention, that's a good, good thing. That means there's nothing we have to worry about with Colton Miller on the left side. But 
Alex Leatherwood, if he is a quality right tackle, then the Raiders have their book and tackles for the foreseeable future. If Alex Leatherwood is not that guy at right tackle, then they have to experiment with him again at right guard. Now, I will say one thing. they did. He did say that he played multiple positions during the offseason during the spring. So I'm one of those people. I may be in the minority here, but I'm one of those people that think Alex Leatherwood ultimately winds up at right guard. But what I will say is that it is encouraging to hear what Josh McDaniels had to say about Leatherwood. And it is encouraging to see that Leatherwood is putting in the work during the offseason. I like what he said during one presser. He's basically working on the basics. He talked about his hands, and that's where it has to start for him. I know we're going to get into that. But for him, it starts with his hands and has to continue with the way he moves his feet. If he can correct those things, and he worked with Duke many weather during the offseason. Duke uh, runs the big boys club. It's a offensive line camp he also holds a summer convention ol masterminds for players and coaches he's worked with the guru he's working on the basics he understands he he he's taking his rookie year and just putting it and saying look this is what i have to build on he's focusing on the film all good signs and you hear that from a lot of young players but can he put it together on the field we'll see starting training camp yeah, and Mo, that's what's interesting. I mean, for a guy like Alex Leatherwood, and we'll get into the particulars because you talked about his hands and, and getting stronger and all that, and we'll talk about that in a second. But but could this have been the best thing that could have happened to him was to get a new coaching staff to kind of, even though, of course, this team didn't want to go through all the tumult that it had last year with John Gruden and and all of the other junk that happened around this team with Henry Ruggs. Um, but, but to get a new coach in and to get a new scheme in all of that, do you think this works out perfect for him because he's able to start over with somebody who early on said that he believed in him? I'd say it's not a bad thing for him because sometimes, you know, he he obviously had bad film his rookie year. And sometimes if you, if you he were to stay with the same coaching staff, coach staff may focus on too many of the negatives yeah. where now he's on a clean slate and the coach staff is looking at it from a, maybe from a different prism and saying, look, we understand what happened your rookie year, but this is what we want to do. And we're just going to start off on a clean slate. We're not going to focus on the, on the negatives or the positives. We're just going to have you go out there and just have you earn this position. That's basically what Josh McDaniels has been saying this offseason is that we're not going to pencil him into a starting role. We're going to let him earn it wherever it is. And and also I've said this on Twitter, the Raiders have to field the, the best five guys for the offensive line. And that's what Josh McDaniels is focused on doing. Whether Leatherwood's a backup, which I know fans don't want to hear because he's a first round pick, whether he's the starting guard or a tackle, Again, I think he's the guard there just because of his mechanics, but we will see. Yeah, no doubt. And is there what is it? Is there anything about this scheme change that will benefit a player like Leatherwood who struggled to acclimate to that position last year in the NFL? More man-on-man blocking. Maybe you'll see the less zone blocking. Maybe possibly because the Patriots kind of, you know, their their run game. If if they're going to run the ball, they're just going to go downhill on you. Mm-hmm. So maybe he gets to use more of that power on the outside. Of course, we he was known for more his athleticism, ability to move, and that's probably why they felt he was a fit in the zone blocking scheme the pre- with the previous regime. But I think once he learns how to use his hands, once he once he puts his mechanics together, I think going downhill and just getting a man a body on a body, I think that will benefit him. So Mo, that's it, it's a perfect foray into talking about his hands for folks who aren't as. Uh, versed in the X's and O's and the physicality of the offensive line position, especially at the tackle position uh, in the NFL. Talk about the hands. What does he need to do there? What did we see last year that he that he didn't do well, that if you're Josh McDaniels and that offensive unit, you're looking to get him better? What does he have to do with his hands? He mentioned it during the presser. He said he basically said he didn't know what to do with his hands. I think Vic Tafer from the Athletics said, you know, do you need to have more violent hands? And he he stopped Vic and said, no, I need I need to know where to put my hands first of all. Mm. And if you look at the film, his hands were always low. And when you and when you're not and when you're a tackle facing a, an aggressive edge rusher and he's coming downhill and he's attacking, you have your hands low. You're basically absorbing whatever blow he's going to give to you. I know that sounds weird, but you're absorbing the momentum that he's he's you know putting into you instead of attacking. He was way too passive, and when you're not and when you're not confident in where to put your hands, that's when you all of your technique falls apart. So he was getting you saw certain times he would wind up on his back. Sometimes you would see his hands flare up because the when you have an aggressive edge rusher, you don't know what to do with your hands, and, and your hands are too low. You're allowing too much pressure, and that's what you saw with Alex Leatherwood. Just wasn't confident in his technique, and it showed on the film. Yeah, it, it's amazing, and 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 that's the thing too. I think 
yes, these guys make a lot of money. He played at Alabama, won a national championship there. He was used to kind of, quote, unquote, the spotlight. But it's not an easy adjustment, and kids sometimes struggle, right? It doesn't matter how good. And there's great examples of guys who come right out and they're, they're a pro bowler, and I get that too. But are we perhaps, and our Raider fans, there's a lot of Raider fans I feel like have given up on this kid after one season. And again, remember, not all of the players were impacted the same, but it was such an odd season for all the off the field and the issues with the coaching and all of that stuff uh, that, that if you go in there and you're a little bit tentative and you're not as self-confident as you need to be to make it in the NFL, you can run a riot that. I think a lot of that is what happened. I, again, we have to wait and see. He's got to earn it on the field. But that's got to play into it, too. Are we too hard on these guys sometimes, despite the money involved? Of course, because we're not out there on the field. We're, we don't have to deal with Joey Bosa and TJ Watt and Miles <laughs> Garrett for 60, you know, for 30 or so minutes. So, it, you know, we, you know, I grew up in the video game era. And you think it's just easy to just pluck a guy in. Oh, he's a, he's a top-ranked rookie. He should be fine. I think part of it, too, with Raider fans is they saw Rashawn Slater hit with the charges. I believe he was a pro bowler this year right out of, you know, Northwestern. He, he also was off a year because of COVID. But I think they look at Rashawn Slater and they say, well, this guy was successful right out of college. We know what's wrong with Leatherwood. And a lot of people also had Leatherwood as an early second rounder, late first rounder. I'm not really too concerned about the draft position, more so what he can do. But I think we expect a lot of guys. The other side of the coin is I, I don't like hearing the comparison to him and Colton Miller. People say, well, people gave up on Colton Miller early and look at him now. And I will say Colton Miller also dealt with injuries as a rookie. And he he had, yeah, he had an MCL sprain. He re-injured yeah. it, I believe, against the Cleveland Browns that year. So he also dealt with injuries. So I don't want to give him an excuse, but there was also there were compounding factors there. Well, Leatherwood, I think, and I mentioned this, coming out of Alabama, he didn't play right tackle at Alabama. He was their left tackle. He was their right guard, I believe, early in his uh, term there. So he, he was playing a new position. Then they switched him after four weeks. So there was some... There was some instability there. And I think once he settles down, I think you see a better player. But again, I just think he settles in at right guard. I think that's the ideal position for him. And if that is true, and this is why I think the Raiders should bring in Darrell Williams, I think they should bring in a quality right tackle just in case Leatherwood doesn't work out at that spot. Yeah, and, and if he doesn't work out at that spot, you you believe that he would go back to guard? Is that what you think they would do? Yeah, I think he just immediately shifts back to right guard. Now, they're going to try him out, not try him out, but he's going to get reps at right guard during training camp because all offensive linemen are going to cross-train, well, I should say most. Um, I, I think he's going to get some reps at right guard. They're going to see what he is. Now, if he, now, if they look at him and they see he's a better right guard than a right tackle, I don't see what the problem is moving him in permanently and say, okay, we're just going to start him at right guard and we're going to bring in a right tackle. We're going to plug in a luminar at right tackle or you know heavens forbid we start brandon parker which i don't want to happen <laughs> ah, there you go I, I, I just feel like if they move outside the with the right guard they have to sign a darrell Williams or they have to sign someone in there to compete with brandon parker because i don't want him to just shoe into the position well and that's the thing and that's where we, we we started at the beginning of this of this portion of the show asking the question if if leatherwood was the key to the season you said yes and i agree because the other scenarios then you start getting into what happened last year right where you had injuries and you had players not playing up to to the snuff if you will and so it starts to lead that kind of musical chairs uh point of view and and if they have to go get somebody that's fine but but clearly this team especially with the offense that what they've added with Devonte adams and who they have on offense with darren waller and of course the slot machine hunter renfro uh, and Josh Jacobs in the backfield, as well as the other running backs like Kenyon Drake, they have it all together. So to not have that right side where you need it to be would be very difficult and maybe distract them from what they could be. Right. Uh, Derek Carr took 40 sacks uh, this past season. I believe that's the second most in his career in the season. If And you you mentioned Devontae Adams, and the Raiders have you know a bevy of weapons, but it all starts in the trenches. If you cannot protect Derek Carr, if you cannot open up lanes for your ball carriers, then you're not going to get the you're not going to get the best of your of all your weapons because you don't have the protection, you don't have the lanes. So Leatherwood, in a lot of ways, he is the key. But this is why I say you have if he's not the guy you think he could be, you have to have a plan B. You just can't pull yeah. all your eggs in one basket in, in an unproven player and say this is all or nothing with Alex Leatherwood and pull all that pressure on him. Now, of course, the player will say, I want all that pressure, 
but you got to give yourself an out just in case it doesn't work out the way you want it to. No doubt about it. And and from what we know, of course, it, it's his first time back being a head coach since the Denver experiment. Uh, Josh McDaniels, though, coming out of the organization that he came out of, you got to figure that they do have a plan B. This is an organization now led by two men with Dave Ziegler who who are steeped in always having plan Bs right now. Even the best organizer gets caught off guard sometimes but I think that's the difference here and that's why I agree with you I think I think we'll see a veteran come in at some point uh, because Denzel good as much as I think he is a good player coming back from that knee injury if you look at history it takes a while and I don't think the Raiders can start off with a hole at left guard or at right tackle and stay in the playoff hunt which is going to be very difficult this year with the AFC West and the entire AFC uh, because it's going to be it's going to be tough. You're going to have to start off well. You're going to have to endure through this kind of gauntlet of a season that they're going to go through. And so, to me, uh, that's incredibly, incredibly vital. Mo, when you look at the rest of this um, offensive line and you start to think about the coaching side of it, uh, what what's different there too? We talked about the scheme a little bit, but what do you expect out of this staff that maybe we didn't see out of Tom Cable staff? I think you're going to get a little more patience out of the staff uh, instead of, as we've mentioned, Alex Oliver moving after four weeks. Now, I know Tom Cable said they weren't happy with the right guard position. That's why they moved him. I think they felt like, you know, there was a little panic there because Alex Oliverwood was, you know, allowing too much pressure. I think you'll see a little more patience because coaching staff is just coming in. Unless Derek Carr is just getting hammered, I don't think you'll see, you know, knee-jerk changes early in the season. I think a lot of the young players are just going to have to ride out because they're all still in the early part of their careers for the most part, with the exception of Colton Miller. They're all learning their positions, you know, from Alex Leatherwood to Andre James to John Simpson. I think Parham has a chance to start at right guard. If it's not Illuminar, he's going to have to learn. So there's going to be a lot of learning. There's going to be, there are going to be some rough patches as we saw with James and Simpson last year. But if you ride it out and you see some progress, you're better for it going forward. So I think you'll see a lot more, a lot more patience, especially if you get, as I said, if, you, if he palms in the lineup, you got to be patient with them. Let them grow. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think so. I think if the, the history of Josh McDaniels too on offense and what he did in new England, yes, he didn't make the final calls, but he had a lot of input on that offense and we saw patience with various players on that offense. So I agree with you. I think we'll see it there. Wow. We're already done with our first show here as an Odyssey original podcast, Mo. Went by so quick as it always does. Mm-hmm. That's how that's how it is. We 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 go through things pretty quickly. We try to do a deep dive, and time flies. Yes, it does. And just some some program notes before we say goodbye to Mo. And that is number one. Uh, we will have another show this week, so we're going to have our second show this week. We'll have three shows during the season, which includes a post game show, depending on what day the Raiders play. Mostly Sundays, of course, but some Thursdays and some Mondays here and there, uh, and also. That show will be on Thursday, so we'll have that this week. Uh, We're going to break down the defensive backfield, right? So there's another area of concern for the Raiders as we head towards camp. So we're going to go through these positional breakdowns. But also, Mo, we have a special guest. I've been wanting to get him for a little while. He's a little polarizing in Raider Nation, uh, and that is former Raider punter Marquette King will be with us for the next show. I'm interested to hear his story, his end of Raider story, which he's been talking about just a little bit, which blew my mind on the piece of paper that he got cut with. But nonetheless, I'm excited to talk to him. I'm excited to hear his story too. I know a lot of fans are like, oh, I don't want to hear Marquette King. I mean, <laughs> I, I, you know, I come from a journalism background and I like to hear people's stories. I like to, people, if they don't get their full story out, what's their side, let them tell what happened from their perspective. And I think it's important to hear Marquette King's story. It is. And, and it, it's also, I like a good comeback story. Now I understand a lot of Raider fans. When I was talking about Marquette on the last show, they told me, ah, I don't want to see him. He blew his chance and all that. Look, lots of people have chances, don't do well. And there's the redemption story. Like you talk about with journalism. I love the redemption story. So we're going to talk to Marquette King. He's no longer a Raider, but once a Raider, always a Raider. I want to hear about the end of his Raider story because there's been a lot of things out there and I want to find out what's true. Number one. And number two, I'm fascinated to, 
to hear his reasoning why he doesn't believe he's gotten another chance after it didn't work out with the Broncos. So it's going to be fascinating. But that's what we want to do here. We're going to bring you players on the Raiders when we can get them. We're going to bring you other former Raiders. We're going to bring you folks from around the NFL. That's what we do. We want you to do it. And if you listen to Marquette King and, and think he's a, a fool or whatever you want to think he is, great. But we're going to give him the opportunity, and I'm excited about it, Mo. Yeah, I mean, everyone, I think, deserves a chance to tell their side of the story. Well, most people deserve their side they, to tell their side of the story, and I think he deserves that at least. No doubt. All right, my friend, Mo, thank you so much. Make sure you follow Mo. First of all, you can see all his stuff up on Bleacher Report. He writes about the entire NFL. So if you just go looking for Raider stuff there, you're not going to just find Raider stuff there. He breaks down everything. I mean, everything from uh, the NFC, the AFC, fantasy football, you name it, he does it. Then up on sportsnot.com, you can catch all his Raider stuff up there too, where he's also a columnist, as well as being a massive video and radio slash podcast star. <laughs> we're, we're trying to deal with the, with the consequences of Mo just growing in his spheres of influence. As, as so we call it. As so we call it. But, uh, <laughs> but we love it and we certainly appreciate it. All right, Mo, we'll see you next time, buddy. All right, appreciate you all listening. Tune in because we're going to be here two times a week before the season starts, three times, as Scott said, during the season, post game, players coming on, some interesting characters to talk to. So keep it locked with us here. Yes. And before I let him go, I have to say at Mo Moton, M O E M O T O N, on Twitter, the food takes will get you. <laughs> I agree with most of them. Pineapple does not belong on pizza. The cheesecake thing, I, I'm almost there with you. I can have it occasionally, but I, I agree with you. This avocado smoothies are delicious, and we go yeah. on and on. But listen, Mo's got some great commentary there. He also talks about the NBA, which I still don't know. I think the NBA is some minor league basketball league, but uh, it's out there as well. So you get great takes. So make sure you follow him as well. Uh, all right. So that's going to be the end of Silver and Black today. This first Monday edition will go to Tuesday, Thursday, starting next week. But I also want you to catch us Thursday. Marquette King is our guest. We'll talk about his Raider career. We'll talk about his post-career and also, again, I have to ask you, do me the favor, go subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Google, Spotify, Odyssey, wherever you get it. Please do that. Also, give us a nice rating, would you? A nice five-star rating. Uh, Mo would like a six-star, but they're we're waiting <laughs> till he grows and influence more till we get a six-star. So please do that for us as well. For the entire team at Odyssey and for Mo Moten, I am Scott Branson. We'll talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to Silver and Black today.